0: Let's read where we left off last week, and then I'm going to go back and kind of set it up for us in our way of study. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a busybody in other people's matters. Peter here writing to the church now, giving them practical instruction, speaking primarily about suffering and all the things that cause suffering and the generic suffering that happens because of Genesis 3. And. The Adamic suffering because we're part of the kingdom here on earth and and some of the worldly suffering that we go through. And here in verse 15, he says, but don't be one of those who suffers because you're a dum-dum. Murderer, thief, evil doing, being a busybody." He gives us that warning. Then he goes on in verse 16 and counters it and says, yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, if you're a note taker, you need to circle that word Christian. Let him not be ashamed. I need you to circle that word ashamed but let him glorify God in this matter. For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? I have the gospel of God circled as well. Verse 18, now if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God, commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. We've been talking about suffering for many, many weeks now. Peter is addressing a church living in Rome that is going through a country and a nation that is self-destructing and that is finding itself with self-destructive behavior and corruption and all kinds of chaos. And so he gives them instruction of what to do, what not to do during that time, something that we can relate to very easily. One of the things that we've learned here is that suffering is not an option, it's a promise. You can take it to the bank. Sometimes I'm still surprised when I suffer. You guys still surprised when you suffer? Someone knocks at the door, you open it up, it's suffering. You know, well, hey, what's going on here? You know, and your phone rings, you answer, it's suffering, you know, and you get the mail and it's suffering. I'm suffer-. Don't be surprised at the suffering that is to try you is what Peter tells us in this epistle. Is this some strange thing we're happening? Remember, suffering does so many things for us. It loosens up our grip on this world produces a platform for us to shine and to show God's reality, draws us near to him. So many things happen when we suffer. I'm still surprised, but God says, man, a life without suffering is kind of boring, and God will order that for you. Here's the deal, though. There's a lot of different object to that reality, like, well, God must think I'm pretty strong. You know, I can't handle this. And the reality is that sometimes God gives you so much that you can't handle it on your feet. You gotta handle it on your knees. And you can't walk forward on your feet until you spend some time on your knees. Even before this began, I got on my knees in my office and just prayed, I was like, Lord, there's just so much going on. And I don't like to be in that condition where I'm forced to my knees, because life is tough, but God is good. And yet in that, we're allowed to then rise up knowing that we spent time on our knees. There's a verse that people kind of take out of context. I want you to see it on the screen. It's First Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make the way of escape, listen, that you may be able to bear it. It's kind of a confusing verse at the end. There's nothing that's going to come your way that's not common to mankind. Everybody suffers. That's what Paul's saying. Everybody suffers. You're going to go through your stuff just like somebody else's. And God's going to make a way for you to escape. How many of you guys are drawn to that word? Yeah, an escape hatch. Like you're getting suffer. Oh, there's an escape hatch. And you just jump right through it. And yet, the very final words say not just to escape, but to bear it. God will make a way for you in your time of distress, duress, difficulty, sadness, sorrow, and sin—to both escape it, but also to endure it. Okay, this is important, because some people call the church from time to time and ask for help. And sometimes I wonder, like, what, what, what can we do to help you? Why well, I, I need this to end. I need this to stop. I need this to go away. I need my spouse to figure it out. I need my, my doctor to figure it out. I need my, my bill collector to figure it out. I need my, my thing to figure it out. I say, like, hey, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for you that you would find a way to bear it, that the Lord would work in you and do in doing you what he desires to do. Lots of reasons why we suffer. Lots of reasons why we have trials. And Peter gives us specific instructions on how to navigate through life that we might bear up under it. We might get through life suffering while we live. How many of you guys are living still? Everybody living? Raise your hands. Okay, not name service. Okay, me and Doug. A bunch of people living here. And listen, here's the deal, though. Look at verse 15. He says, "If you're gonna suffer, make sure it's not because you're a dumb dumb. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters." Sometimes, when we suffer, it's not their fault, it's not her fault, it's not his fault, it's my fault. It's me standing in the need of prayer. And Peter, I love his heart, because he is able to give instruction to the church and say, watch out for these people, watch out for those people, watch out for this thing, watch out for that, that sin, watch out for that struggle over here, but also make sure that you're not actually causing the pain and suffering because of the foolish decisions that you're making. And as a pastor, I really don't like preaching about sin, I don't like talking about sin, I don't like making people feel bad about their sin, I kind of, I'm a people pleaser, I want everyone to be happy, I'm the life of the party, you know, and yet that's why I like the word of God. Because when you study the whole counsel of God's word, it gives you two sides of the coin. It gives you God's grace and God's love on one side. Isn't that awesome? Man, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his only son to die for you. He loves you so much that he causes all things to be working together in your good. He causes you, he loves you so much. The Bible actually says his thoughts toward you are innumerable, Psalm 139. You can't even count how many thoughts God has. The Old Testament tells us that God actually has a bottle and he catches your tears and puts a cork on it and keeps them, they're so precious to him. Some of you got more tears than others and God's catching them all. God loves you so much. The Bible actually says that you're the apple of his eye and that's one side and a lot of churches teach that truth and it's important that your understanding of God's love but it also talks about God's truth as a matter of fact in John chapter one it says when Jesus came he came full of grace and starts with t rhymes with Ruth truth, truth. truth. he came with grace and I'm gonna say it again truth, truth. And here, here Peter says hey make sure when you're suffering you're it's not because you're being dumb I said something insensitive but I believe accurate last week that a lot of the suffering we find ourselves with isn't because of the government's fault or because your parents' fault or because of the system's fault. It's because we're lazy. It's because we're sinful, we're rebellious, we're foolish. We won't own our own stuff. We're not doing the work, we're not putting it in. And you have to be able to ask yourself, why am I suffering right now? What's going on here? Whose fault is it? And there's grace and there's love, but there's also the truth. And the truth is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Truth is our hearts are deceitful. Truth is our hearts are wicked truth is, our sins are innumerable. The truth is, even our best days are tainted with sin, and the Bible says that even our best efforts are like filthy rags. We're all rebels. We're all like sheep having gone astray. How many of you guys relate to sheep? God calls us sheep. It's kind of cool. Like, they're cute. You know? And, and maybe it's the illustration because it's more about the shepherd. Like, I'm the shepherd, you know, and you're the sheep. But he could have called himself, like, the dog whisperer, you know. I'm the dog whisperer, and you guys are my dogs. Like, I would have been, like, that would have been cool. Dogs are cool. Dogs do stuff. They get trained. I mean, dogs can, I man, you can you can teach your dog to actually cook meals for you if you got the right kind of dog and stuff and, like, but a sheep, God's like, nah, you're like sheep. I'm the shepherd, and you guys are sheep. Okay, sheep are defenseless. Okay, they can't defend themselves you know they're dumb you can't really train them to do anything as a matter of fact if a sheep goes out of the line of sight of the shepherd just right over the hill you know no idea where it's at man you can take your dog to Agate Beach and go to Texas it'll find you you know what I'm saying like your dog's like get out of my way a sheep is donezo Man, sheep is stuff they shouldn't eat this looks good made me sick last time think I'll try it again you know going for it sheep. The Bible says that the shepherd has a rod and a staff, you know, a staff for guidance and a rod for correction. Both are for the sheep. And I relate to sheep. I'm glad God calls us the sheep of his hand. And he calls himself the shepherd. It's a a wonderful picture. It would be a Middle Eastern understanding in that day. But I think that there's some real validity to it. As a matter of fact, uh, Pastor Esai in the back sent me a video of a sheep that I kind of related to. I watched this yesterday. I thought it was an actual video of myself. Go ahead and play this. Let's watch this together that's me on the left look at this poor sheep getting rescued oh look at that just rescued by that shepherd yeah oh oh play th- Why? come on guy let's see that in slow motion let's, let's just watch. just watch it it's gonna play it again oh there we go there we go Oh my gosh, I, I, it's a Bible story in and of itself, I mean, it's, <laughs> this is on again, is it on again? Oh, so yeah, you can take that down, yes, you can take that down. That's verse 15. Verse 15, but let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a busybody in other people's matters. When I saw that video last night, man, I laughed and yelled louder than I should have. Man, it was funny stuff. And I got my kids like, guys, check this out. This is me in high school. This is great. Watch this, you know, and hear him jumping out of the one ditch and into the next. And that's what we do is sheep. God rescues us and we find ourselves going down the wrong path. And it says in verse 15, make sure you guys aren't doing these things because these things will bring suffering to you. And as I mentioned, I don't like talking about sin, but when the Bible brings up sin, when the Bible brings up truth, when the Bible brings up grace, I want to make sure that God has his way with us. Numbers chapter 32 verse 23 actually tells us, be sure that your sins will find you out. There's something insidious about sin and that it convinces you that it's not going to harm you that nobody knows, that it's not a big deal. There's all these rationales. We've all fallen for that bait and switch. And yet throughout the scriptures, there are principles that say, no, no, this will actually produce fruit. There's another verse, not just Numbers 32, but Galatians six, it says, God is not mocked. You will reap what you sow, okay? That principle of reaping and sowing is actually a promise. And let me just speak to the ones here who are fighting well and doing good and wondering where the harvest is. Keep doing the right thing. Keep memorizing scripture, keep repenting of sin. Keep plowing rows of righteousness, keep doing it. Yeah, but it's not working, I'm lonely and it's not bearing any fruit. Keep doing it, it will show up with fruitfulness, I promise you. And yet there's another group of people who are dabbling with certain things. Peter says murder, thievery, evil doing, and being a busybody. Those are his four he lists. There's many more verses in the scriptures that talk about sin. And he says, don't suffer from those things. In other words, when you do those things, they will bring about a a term of suffering. A harvest, my pastor used to say that a lot of people plant seeds of the flesh, wild oats, and they plant them and then they pray for a crop failure. You ever do that before? (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You will reap what you sow. My pastor went on to teach me that if you have sowed some seeds of corruption, and you're praying for a crop failure, you don't need to wait to immediately sow seeds of righteousness. You can repent today and begin today immediately to sow seeds of righteousness, repentance, seeking the Lord, doing the things that please him and honor him. And the reality is is sometimes your suffering is your own dang fault and you need to repent, you need to get after it, don't be lazy, don't make excuses, don't settle, put the work in and in, in christian ministry and in counseling sometimes we find ourselves meeting with people that their worlds are turned upside down and the bible tells us to be compassionate and merciful and as we help people navigate and identify the things that have happened in their life i believe god would have us to learn lessons and even today let there be a warning to, to the person out there who needs to just what am i doing what am i doing Sin will always take you further than you wanna go. It will always keep you longer than you wanna stay. And it will always cost you more than you're prepared to pay. Learn these principles. Teach them to others. Remind yourself, listen, and don't be surprised when you get the check in the mail, or should I say, the bill. I still remember my first credit card. Man, that was an awesome experience. (laughs) Got to Southern Oregon University as a 19-year-old kid. You walk onto the campus and they start handing you stuff. Here's this, here's this. And you get an application for your credit card. It's amazing. It's just a great day. And i go, oh, I'll fill this out. You know, And you fill it out to get it like a Frisbee or something. And pretty soon you get the credit card in the mail. And There it is. And you know, and your $500 spending limit. That's the max they give these, you know, 19-year-old idiots like me. And I remember I went to Lowdown Board Sports. It was amazing. Went to the board shops, in the world, and I, I bought bindings and I bought boots and I bought a jacket. I remember I put them on the counter. I had no money. And I had all, all this stuff and I handed them the credit card. And the guy grabbed it and swiped it I thought for sure the cops were gonna show up and this is it this is it it, but it worked signed the paper and I walked out with a bunch of swag without paying anything for it man right that's how it felt I just kept spending and kept spending got a bill in the mail throw that bill away man (laughs) is that what you did too I threw that bill for I don't know where that bill went pretty soon you know and then anyways you know the story pretty soon anyways you, you know do you know the story? And you guys, you know the story. Anyways, it's like sin. It's like sin. There always is going to be an invoice that comes in the mail. So Peter tells us, make sure that when you're suffering, it's not for those reasons. There's also suffering that comes from this world because the world's broken. We've been talking about that. Everyone who lives in this world, whether you're doing unrighteous things or not, you're going to suffer. This is a surprise for some people. You're actually doing the right thing, and you live in a world that's cursed, and you're loving your family, you're serving your employer, you're faithful to your nation, you're doing all that, and all of a sudden, property taxes, or or something else happens to you, you know, and you're suffering in one way, shape, or another, or the doctor bill comes. I think of Joseph. Joseph was a good man. God gave him a call in his life. He was anointed. He had favor of the Lord, and instantly, he found himself suffering. His dad was mean to him and told him to shut up and quit talking about stuff, and then his brothers were mean to him, and they sold him into slavery, and he was betrayed, and And then his employer Potiphar's wife was mean to him. And then he got put in jail and his buddies in jail were mean to him. And then the the ruler of Pharaoh got to put him in, in charge for 14 years and anybody could have said, man, what's going on here? And yet God, even in his trials and suffering, was working out his full purpose and what God had intended for him. Don't forget sometimes, this world has been promised to you and I to be difficult. Genesis chapter three, the curse. It's going to be tough being alive. It's going to be tough being married. It's going to be tough being single. It's going to be tough raising kids. It's going to be tough not having kids. It's going to be tough being a man. It's going to be tough being a woman. It's going to be tough being young. It's going to be tough being old. And sometimes suffering. Why does this happen? I'm doing my best. Ah, Don't be surprised at the suffering or the trial that is to try you. Life's full of suffering. Life on this earth can be cruel, one thing that I've reminded myself many times and others as well is God is good and life is tough. Don't confuse the two. Usually that's necessary to repeat that in times of deep sorrow. God is good and life is tough. Because sometimes life's not tough. You ever been to Hawaii before? It's not tough over there. <laughs> yes, it is. But there's times of vacation. There's times you're just like, man, life's so good. And there's other times where, man, it is just tough suffering is going to happen and I say all that by way of kind of recap and I want to draw your attention now to verse 16 yet if anyone suffers as a Christian let him not be ashamed but let him glorify God in this matter we've been talking about suffering for some time now and I really want to spend the majority of our of our time this morning considering what it means to be a christian and to suffer as a Christian. And I want it to set in in a way that is different than the way maybe you look at yourself or the way you suffer or the way you're living your life right now. How many of you guys think the word Christian is a popular word? It's not a trick question, okay. You ever ever heard the word Christian before? You go to a Christian bookstore, you go to a Christian concert, you go to a Christian, 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 Christian. Everyone say it. Christian, Christian. See, y'all saying it today. It's popular. Did you know that the word Christian only appears in the Bible three times? The first time is in Acts chapter 11 at a Gentile church, not even in Jerusalem. It's at a Gentile church where a bunch of pagan Gentiles are getting saved, a bunch of crazy people, probably meeting in a warehouse, a bunch of weirdos. Paul's up there and Barnabas. and And they get this... Nickname. Oh yeah, those are Christians, christianos in the Greek. Some people have taught that it means little Christians. It doesn't mean that. It means followers of Christ. Oh, you're a Christ follower. Oh, you're a Christ follower. And it was actually a derogatory term. Ah, Christ follower. Got it. That's why you're a weirdo. That's why you're at the warehouse. That's why you don't go to the temples and do the things that the pagans do anymore ah, you're a Christian. And they were first called Christians. The second time we see it mentioned is in Acts 26. And Herod Agrippa, king of the Jews at that time, is listening to Paul give his defense before Felix and Agrippa, the Roman leaders. And Herod Agrippa says to Paul, he says, hey, you almost convinced me to become a Christian. By the way, almost being a Christian is not good enough. Just so you guys know. It'd be like going to surgery and the doctor comes out of the operating room taking his gloves off. How'd it go, doctor? Almost good. <laughs> what? You know, what? <laughs> almost is not good enough. And Herod Griffin said, you almost persuade me, Paul. You almost got me to be a Christian. It's, it's fighting words. And, and Paul gets sent to Rome shortly thereafter. And the third mention, the only mention in all the scriptures, is right here, where Peter says, yet... If any of you suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter. Now, I want you to understand what it means to suffer as a Christian. You're going to suffer because of your dumb, dumb decisions. Okay, that's, everybody does that. Everybody makes bad decisions, suffers bad consequences. You play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Okay, it's a principle. Everybody. Genesis 3, everybody suffers in this world. Non-believers and believers alike everybody suffers it's hard to be alive it's hard to be a a man or a woman it's hard genesis 3 the curse has been given to everybody and yet verse 16 if any of you suffers as a christian it's different christians suffer differently because christians are different you guys know that the word church ecclesia in the greek literally means called out assembly it's a group of people that have been called out of the world and they're assembling over here they're different Jesus was the first person in the New Testament to use the word church in Matthew 16. And he called out Peter and the boys. Peter, who's writing this? The church, he said, you are the church, the ecclesia. When Peter identified that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God. By the way, context is king, how all this is happening. And the context is king in today's passage as well. When Jesus called out Peter and the boys and said, I'm gonna start building a church right now, a different people group. It was actually in the northern region of Israel, pagan land. Right near Portland. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It was in a weird, it was not like in, you know, Bible study country. It was was way up there. And that's where Jesus says, okay, there's a difference. There's a difference. The church is different. And if you're part of the church, if you're a Christian, you're going to suffer differently because the church is different. I need that to settle in. I feel different all the time. I just do. I go to the store. I feel different when I coach. When I go to the high school. When I go to college. Just when I when I visit. When I drive. I just feel different. I don't know what you do. I feel like I just feel. I don't think I don't. I don't feel like I fit in. And that is a gift from God. If you're part of the church, the ecclesia, the called out group. And yet within being different is a call to suffer unashamedly and give God glory. To not be ashamed of being different. To not be ashamed of being part of the church. To not be ashamed in today's culture, 2021, any more than they were ashamed in that culture 2,000 years ago. Peter says, oh, you're a Christian now? Okay, you're gonna suffer. They're gonna look at you differently. They're gonna make fun of you because you don't do the things that the Romans do. You don't participate in the same debauchery and chaos and carnality. You have a standard and a moral compass and directives and instructions that come from the Bible. You don't honor all of the deities now here in Rome that we demand that you honor. And because of that, you're going to suffer. And so Peter says, don't be ashamed of that. Don't be ashamed of standing for righteousness, standing for morality, standing for truth, even if it brings about suffering. And this is what we need to hear in our day as we study what they heard in their day, because there is a temptation and a proclivity as a Christian to be ashamed of being a Christian. Is there not a temptation to be ashamed of being a Christian? Peter was asked in the garden there or in the, the temple precincts, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you one of his? Aren't you one of this?" This is Peter! And Peter denied not once, twice, but thrice. No, no, I got, no, not me. Wrong guy. And Peter learned a lesson that day. It would go on then and decades later, write a book and say, guys, when you're suffering, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed. I remember growing up in Richfield, Minnesota for a couple of years. And I just remember as a family, we'd go to church every Sunday. My mom and dad were uh, taking us to a church there that kind of didn't meet in a warehouse. I think they had a real building. So we put on slacks and dress sheets, uh, shirts and stuff. And, And I remember coming home one Sunday, I was wearing my nice pants and this nice shirt and my friends came running over and said, hey Luke, you wanna play? Whoa, what are you wearing that for, bro? And I was like, "Uh, I just went to the grocery store, man. <laughs> you know? And I, wanted, I didn't want anybody to know that I was a Christian. I just remember that as a little kid, being shamed. It probably wasn't necessarily for what I believed. I'm going to be honest. I thought about this last night. It wasn't so because of the doctrine of theology that I held near and dear to my heart. But it was because of the duplicitous lifestyle that I was living. These kids knew I wasn't a Christian at the, at the, at the park and at their house. I was, I was a cuckoo little kid. But I just remember being ashamed of being a Christian. I remember going to the college's campus and high school and camps, and people would ask you questions or conversations would come up about God, about theology and about truth. And there's a temptation to fit in. I don't want people to think I'm different. And let me encourage you. Let me challenge you. You are different. You're the ecclesia. You're the called out group. You're different on purpose. You're supposed to be light in a dark world. You're supposed to be salt in a saltless world. You're supposed to be the way and the truth and the life guiding people to Jesus Christ by the way that you live, what you believe, and how you act. When you go to the swimming pool and you walk in, there's a bunch of people swimming and there's a whole group of people working. They're called lifeguards. You ever been there before? Well, the lifeguards can swim too, but most of them aren't swimming, right? They're there guarding lives. Two separate groups of people. When you go to the lifeguard, when you go to the hospital, there's two separate groups of people. There's patients and visitors and families, and there's the doctors and professionals that work there. When you go to the jail, there's two different groups of people. There's the inmates and there's the guards. When you go to school, there's two different groups of people. There's the students and the teachers. There's two different groups of people in this world. You guys, who are the church, me too, we're the church. We're different we're called out. We're an assembly that needs to order ourselves, operate ourselves, and find ourselves acting and living differently in this world, and that is going to bring about in your life a degree of suffering, if it has not already. There's actually only two different groups of people in the world. There are saints and saints. Saints and saints. And if you find yourself a believer, you're a saint, and God has you on purpose to be part of the church, acting differently, living on this earth, learning what the Bible teaches, and living our lives for his glory and for others' good. I like how he points this out. Because there's all kinds of suffering, all kinds of things that go on. And yet he says, if you're gonna order yourself as a Christian, if you're gonna take cues from this book, okay, be prepared to be different. Uh, yesterday was sunny and Beautiful. Friday was sunny and amazing okay got super sunburned so I stayed inside the house all day yesterday but my son Noah he's sitting in the back there he was on the back deck yesterday and kind of just sitting in the sun and I I saw an opportunity just sitting there kind of just chilling and so I went and grabbed his bible and I brought it out to him and I had it open to first Peter or first Timothy I said hey read first Timothy while you're sitting here and he looked at me and like any good 13 year old son said why you know and I said, just read it. It's good for you. And so he began to read 1 Timothy, and he read all of 1 Timothy, and then he went on to read all of 2 Timothy, just sitting there. It was so cool, and I was walking around, and I came outside during this, and he's like, Dad, man, if Paul were to say some of the things that he said then, today, he'd get in so much trouble, ha, 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 you know. And I was like, no doubt, bro, you know, like, man, just telling Timothy what's up with the what's up. And here's my son reading that, and I began to think about it. I was like, you know what? Paul actually would get in trouble nowadays for saying the things he said in the book, okay? He got in trouble in those days too. 64 AD, they took a sword and cut his head off. 65 AD, they took Peter and they crucified him on a cross upside down. For the things that they believed, the things that they reported, the things that they lived for. The things that we believe and the things that we report are not gonna make us popular. They're actually going to put us in opposition to the way the world is going. Now, some of you guys get this. Some of you are super good at offending people. You're super good at being belligerent, super good at messing with others. You know, some of you are really, really good at that. Others need a little bit of a pep talk to kind of get on that boat. I would remind you that verse 15 says, don't suffer for being a busybody, which literally means messing with people, okay? So what I'm about to say in these next couple minutes that we have together about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to stand firm in the truth, to be one who would be considered, like Paul or Peter, offensive to the culture, okay? There's a difference between getting on your soapbox, you know, and with the bullhorn and getting in people's face and picking fights and rioting and doing it your way. Jesus is our master example of both being love and truth. See, Jesus stood for the truth. He didn't water down the truth. He didn't pull any punches. But at the same time, he let people, listen, make their own decisions. A matter of fact, I'm going to say it so simply. You need to understand this. There are saints and there are saints submit to this book. Saints follow this book. Saints believe in this book. Saints obey this book. Saints read this book. Saints need this book. Ain'ts can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. If you're an ain't, you can do whatever you want. You can think whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want. You can act however you want. Listen, here's the problem though. It doesn't make it true though. You can still do it. I have no control over you. You have no submission to God. You haven't given your life to God. You can do, act, and believe anything you want if you're a ain't. It's kind of hard for some Christians to accept that. And yet Jesus walked on the earth, taught the truth, assembled his disciples, assembled his followers, assembled those who were allegiant to him, and he found himself dividing between sons and fathers, between daughters and mothers. We read that in Matthew chapter 10. Said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. There's going to be a division. There's going to be a difference. And so, check this out. Paul's not saying, no, Peter's not saying, avoid suffering as a Christian. He's setting us up saying, if you suffer because you're a Christian, don't be ashamed. That's a word that somebody just needs to chew on the rest of your life. As your spouse or your parents, or your kids or your friends make fun of you, distance themselves from you. Oh, you're a Christian now? It's weird. You believe the Bible? It's weird. Don't be ashamed. I'm gonna give you guys a few thoughts that will help you to not be ashamed for suffering for Christ. Number one, you can write this down, you can trust the Bible. This is the book that we listen to, the book that we learn from, the book that we obey. Other people get the freedom to write their own narratives and do their own things. They can make up their own rules. Doesn't make it right, doesn't make it true, doesn't make it good. We submit to this book. Some people will make fun of you for that. Did you know that the Bible is one quarter or one third prophecy? That is that there's one third to one quarter of the entirety of the Bible is prophecy. That is predictions of what is going to happen. That is predictions of things that haven't happened written down and then they have happened. As a matter of fact, they estimate 2,500 different prophecies throughout the entirety of the Bible. 2,000 of those prophecies have already been fulfilled perfectly without any error. Let me just say, if you're going to follow a book, follow a book that predicts the future without error. Okay, that's the right book you want to follow. No book should ever be written with predictions being made unless it is God writing that book with predictions being made that will then verify the validity of who writes it and what it says. Okay, you can take this book to the bank. There will be a temptation to be ashamed. People will reject you, people will mock you. But if you're wondering what to look for by way of direction, pick a book that has predictions that have come true. Number two, write this down, not only can you trust the Bible, number two, the Bible is offensive. Okay, it's gonna ruffle some feathers gonna offend some people i was gonna put this on facebook last night but i don't want to be offensive but if you haven't been offended by the bible you're not reading it right there's some pages there's some scriptures there's some stories where you and your flesh are like eh, <laughs> i don't know if i like that i don't know if i understand that i don't know if i agree with that okay if you haven't been offended by the bible you're not reading it right because the bible is not designed to affirm you it is designed to offend you Okay, the Bible, I'll use a different word. The Bible is not designed to affirm you as you are, but to conform you into the image of God who has sent his son to die for you. The Bible renews our minds. It transforms us into his image. Romans chapter 12, verses one and two says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As a matter of fact, I've learned this to be true in my own life. When I don't read the Bible, if I'm not interested in the Bible, if I don't have a hunger for the Bible, it's because I don't want to be conformed to the Bible. I wanna do it my way, I don't wanna be challenged. And that's a problem. And so when I read the Bible, I say, okay, Lord, let's go, get after it. Don't affirm me, tell me I'm right where I'm at, no. Show me what I need to know, what I need to see. The Bible is offensive, it's meant to challenge you. As a matter of fact, I've used this illustration before, but have you ever pet a cat backwards before? Cat comes up, you know, purr, purr on you, whatever, wants to be pet. Just go ahead and pet that sucker backwards. See what happens. And that cat will look at you. What in the world are you doing, bro? Offended. Hold that cat, petting it backwards. The best way to remedy the situation is to turn the cat around. And sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, i say... This says I need to do this, and this says I'm out of order, and this says this is wrong, and this. Hey, hey, yeah, turn around. Turn your life around. Turn around. And all of that then will be for you, not against you. You can trust the Bible. It's supposed to be offensive. Number three, write this down. The Bible's absolute truth. You just need to take this to the bank. It's not a menu where you pick and choose and, I take this and I take that, but I don't want this. I definitely don't like that. Have you seen this? Have you d- tried this before? Certain passages of Scripture I just don't like? I just don't like it. I just don't like it. I don't just, well, chances are you don't know what you're talking about, right? i going to get amen from somebody. Chances are you don't know what you're talking about. I love realizing, confessing, Lord, I don't know what I'm talking about. I have no idea. Apparently I just got here like 42 years ago and I'm, I don't know everything yet. I don't know what happened, you know? I should know everything by now, but I don't. God knows what he's talking about. The Bible is absolute truth. Again, I'll say, if you're not a Christian... You make up your own truth, okay, Your truth is subject to your reality, to your feelings, to your experience, all these other things, but the Bible is for you and I a guide and a light. Joshua 8 i I'm not sure if this is gonna go up on the, on the board or not, I'll just read it to you. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Peter is telling you and I, if you suffer as a Christian, specifically your suffering is linked to your Christian foundation. Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you don't believe in evolution? Oh, you don't believe in fornication? Oh, you don't believe in all these other areas that we have come to have in our lives? You don't believe in this identity? You don't, oh, you don't believe in that? Okay, guess what? Suffering's coming at you. You're going to find yourself different. Joshua tells us, let this book of the law not depart from your mouth, but meditate in it day and night, for then your way will be prosperous and successful. The reality is, and this is a word for Peter's audience then, and I think it's so timely now, that when the days get darker, okay, Christians need to get brighter. Just think about our culture right now, what's going on. It's getting darker, I mean, is it crazy? Is it getting kooky out there? So kooky. I mean, it's the I can't even like, yeah, I, I read headlines. I'm like, I don't even believe that. They can't, there's no way it's that kooky. There's no way people are actually doing that. There's no way people are actually thinking that. This is so crazy. And as it gets darker, Christians need to be brighter. Will that bring suffering to me, Pastor Luke? Yes, will that make me look different than the rest of the world? Yes. Will I be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ? The answer is yes, you will be tempted, but you are not to be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Paul would open up his letter to the Romans in chapter 1, verse 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul would be beat up in every town he went to. Paul would be made fun of. In the book of Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching in Athens, Greece, and they're calling him a babbling seed picker. They stop him right in the middle of his sermon and say, enough, bro, you're crazy. Get him off the stage. Ridicule, rejection. If any of you suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Again, I think this is a timely word. As a believer, why are we here? What are we doing as a Christian? What's your, let your light so shine before men that they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. But it's not just your good deeds that will glorify your Father in heaven. It's also your good words. Gospel literally means message. Look at verse 17. I want you to see this connection here. He says, "For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God, and if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God?" I've got oh, don't, do not obey the gospel of God circled. It's one big Greek word for do not obey, literally means do not believe. The Greek word is apatheo. It's where we get our English word apathy, and it's when people hear the gospel, the good news, they hear the message. Eh. I don't know man it just sounds kooky it sounds so exclusive it sounds so just offensive and they have an apathetical approach to the good news of Jesus Christ God's word is not hidden it's not mysterious it's declared God said it I believe it good job and yet there are some people who hear it don't believe it. And that settles it. Judgment's gonna begin at the house of God. Judgment's coming. Okay, we'll talk about judgment in just a minute. We talked about this last week a little bit. God will judge the world. That's his job. That's his description. That's what he does. He's good at it. He knows all things. You and I don't. But he also says that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. That's you and I. You and I who are saved, our sins have been judged. You won't be held accountable for your sins. But have you noticed that since being saved, you're still being sanctified? Anybody still being sanctified? Oh my gosh. I'm saved by the blood of the lamb. I am so saved. I'm so saved I can't get any more saved. Anybody else with me? Man, I'm super saved. I'm a super saved saint. I get it. I'm so, so saved, man. I'm saved, but I am being sanctified right now. And there is judgment in my life happening right now that is still working out that stuff that remains within my life. And if that's happening to people who are saved, super saved, super saint saved, like me, oh, Peter here saying, what about those who aren't saved? Shoot. They're not only gonna be judged for the stuff that they're doing wrong now, but the stuff that they've done their whole lives. This is where the gospel, man, you got to obey the gospel. Verse 18, now if the righteous one scarcely saved, where will the ungodly and the sinner appear? Therefore, let those who suffer, according to the will of God, commit their souls in doing good as to a faithful creator. I like how Peter uses that title of God, the faithful creator. See, in those days, they had all kinds of different variations of creation and where the world came from. A lot of people believe the world came from Zeus or from Atlas and. Folks from India believe that it was supported, the earth was supported on the backs of elephants and people from Asia on the backs of tortoises and had all kinds of mythological ideas. And yet Peter here has a throwback to Genesis chapter one and two, and he says, no, commit your souls to your faithful creator. Creation is kind of a hot button issue, isn't it? There's all kinds of hot button issues as a, as a Christian that you're going to suffer in. God says, don't be ashamed And I'll tell you what, just maybe by way of preparing us for what's to come, I can't go through an exhaustive list of hot-button issues, but let's just start with creation. The Bible is very clear on the origins of earth, where it came from, who created it, and for what purposes. Yet our secular world today doesn't honor God or Christians that have that faith. You know this to be true, right? They have slowly but surely over the last couple of decades pushed creation and the idea and the theory of creation outside of the realm of possibility. And they have included the theory and the possibility of evolution as fact. And yet God goes on record in Genesis. I'm gonna read it to you. This is crazy, just in case you guys got lost. We'll start at the beginning, okay, just in case anybody's. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, my Bible doesn't say, any questions? <laughs> doesn't say that, but, but maybe. <laughs> I mean, give me a break, right? How are you gonna start the book with such an offense? So offensive. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if you're a believer here today, you are going to be persecuted for believing Genesis 1.1. You're going to, in the secular environment, you're going to on the school campus, you're going to be wherever you're at, you're going to be tempted to be ashamed of believing the very first verse of the Bible. A lot of people who are Christians, super saints, super safe saints here, don't actually take this doctrine seriously. Well, it's not that big a deal. We all know that the earth is billions and billions of years old and science has proven that out. And Maybe it's allegory. Maybe that's what's going on. It's not necessarily a salvatory doctrine. That is a doctrine that hinges on salvation. Can I just remind you, it's verse one. I mean, if you're gonna start arguing with the Bible at verse one, I'm just saying maybe verse one would be the verse you say look god said it i believe it that settles it friday i was at the otter rock with paul and tara riley and their boys and my family we were just hanging out at the cove there and we were just tripping about the ocean at one point we were just looking out we couldn't see any of our kids they'd all disappeared so maybe we were looking for our kids but uh i'm just kidding most of them were still there and we're just, I just look at the ocean. I was like, Paul, look at this ocean, dude. Like, we can't even see very far. Like, as far as we can see, and it, it's all just teeming with life. And even if you go 20 or 50 or 100 miles off our shore, it's nothing compared to the vast expanse of ocean and all the life that's in there. And God just made that. Then we begin talking about the cosmos and the universe. Did you know that there are as... Let's Check this out. Trip out. Sit down. Okay, everyone sit down. Where you're sitting... Did you know that there are as many suns in the universe as there is sand at Otter Rock? And not just Otter Rock, but as much sand as there is on planet Earth. Now just trip out for a minute. I know you're all sitting. For every cup of sand, every backhoe full of sand, every dump truck full of sand, those are all stars, if you would. There are more. Actually, Paul brought it up and mentioned. He said, I'm not sure if that's true. I did some... Internet research last night. There are more stars, more suns in the universe than there are grains of sand on the earth. And here's my conclusion if you believe that all of that matter and substance and creation came from nothing, you're an idiot. (laughs) Is that offensive? I mean, think about it. What? In the Greek, idiot means untrained, okay? means you're not even thinking. You're not even thinking. It came from nothing? That, that doesn't, anyways, moving on. <laughs> Creation. It's a hot button issue. Okay, number one, you can write, I'm only gonna go through four things and we're done. I gotta, I gotta speed to these other ones they're even more controversial so that'll be good for us to get out of here he's the creator of all things. That's what it says right here. Let's just stay in the text. It also says that the judgment is coming. Okay, a lot of people don't like that. You ever had somebody that finds out you're a Christian? Oh, so you believe in hell? Uh, yeah, it's not my idea. It's in the book. I don't know. I didn't make it up. It's, I just read the story, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, if you have a loving God, how can he send people to an eternal hell? Ugh, you know, you ever had that question? maybe asked to you or maybe you're just thinking it through and you're having a you know cup of strong coffee and you have that thought like how does this work listen here's the deal every single person is born on their way to hell that's the truth we're born spiritually dead separated from God at birth sinful in nature and then we prove it sinfully by choice everyone is destined to hell and so God interrupted that and sent his only son to earth to die on the cross in our place and to save us from hell That's the truth, is that Jesus intervened and stretched his arms out and said, no one's going to hell unless you step over my dead body. That's the truth. Judgment, it's coming because we're all messed up. We're born messed up, sinful by nature, and then we mess up throughout our lives. No matter how many laws people pass, no matter what legislation happens, no matter how good it is, there'll never be a utopia on planet Earth. We haven't ever done it. You would think by 2021, internet speeds are so fast that we'd finally be at peace with everyone, right? Where does war and crime and chaos come from? Your hearts. Why is God sending people to hell? God's, not, God's rescuing people from hell. You need to understand this, as a Christian, when you suffer, not to be ashamed of the creation that God says is mine, don't be ashamed of that. Glorify God in what he's done. Study science in the earth, which all points back to him. Don't be ashamed at the idea that God's gonna hold the world accountable that God's going to judge this world, but that God has been so patient. Peter tells us that. Why hasn't God returned yet? Because he's patient, he's long-suffering, willing that none should perish. As believers, you need to be ready for this and don't be ashamed. Not only is he the creator of all things, his judgment is coming to all things. Do you know that he's the ruler of all things? Okay, he gets to make the rules. This is, by the way, important. As Christians, you know this. He makes the rules. He decides what's right. He decides what's wrong. The rest of the world, they get to make up their own rules. You ever played a board game before at someone's house? Things start to get crazy. And all of a sudden, somebody pulls out the rule book. This happens in Monopoly at our house, Uno, you know. Hey, wait, get the rule book, you know. You know, we're not playing a game anymore when the rule book comes out. Like, this is war. Like, almost smoke you and then when people come to your house sometimes or you're visiting and they have house rules you're like dude you can't have house rules like <laughs> making stuff up everybody submits to the rules it's just what the rules say you do him I remember one time I played Monopoly with this kid and he was he, he toted he, he was boasting he'd never lost and he started to do something mid game I was like you can't do that that's, that's against the rules he said no no this is okay I said and I told him out the rules man I destroyed this guy <sighs> he'd been breaking the rules the whole time man it was actually at a men's conference he lost his salvation later that day and uh, i'm just kidding he didn't lose his salvation he was bummed though let me just get back on track okay god makes the rules god decides the way things are when you boil it down that simply you're going to suffer persecution okay the Bible's very clear about what's going on in our society. Our society right now is changing rules, breaking rules, bending rules, inventing new rules, counterintuitive rules. Jesus was asked one time about marriage. Mark chapter 10. And Jesus said, I'll quote him, Mark chapter 10. He said, from the beginning, God created man and woman. How many genders? Two. How many genders? Last night I got on the internet, I was like, how many genders are there currently? 64. I thought about reading some of them to you, but I just didn't want to do that. 64 different identities in our world so far. Some, one, one page was like 74. Different genders about how people identify. Now, I gotta say this very sensitively because there is a sensitive issue going on in our society. God says, Jesus quotes, from the beginning, God created man and woman. He went on to say, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall cleave to one another, okay? Identifying both the two genders and the recipe for marriage, okay? It's in the book. Genesis 1 and 2, the beginning. Jesus, if you were to make an addendum or a change, well, I see how you guys are doing things differently in 2021, so I'm gonna go ahead and change, no. There's no, there's no change. If you believe this, you will be tempted to be ashamed. You will suffer. You are to be different. The church is to be loving and truthful. This is, a, this is not an easy task, friends. And while I've tried to make you laugh a few times today, we're on some real thin ice. We're in some real sensitive waters. And it's not going to get any easier. Has there been a social (coughs) shift from 1921 to 2021? Some of you look like you were born in 1821. (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? It's getting crazier and crazier. And for such a time as this, we're here. Peter was writing to Roman Gentiles that had never met Jesus. They heard the gospel and had their lives changed and instantly suffered persecution and would all die because of their faith. So Peter writes to them says, guys, it's gonna be worth it. It's gonna be worth it. If judgment is beginning in the house of God, if God's still working on you, if you're super saved saint, but you're still being sanctified, it's gonna be rough sledding for the rest of the world. May our hearts be soft towards this world, but listen. May our hearts also be clear and strong in what God has declared to be true. You need to be different. Don't try and fit in, don't try and be accepted by everybody. God forbid you get to heaven and someone scarcely get to heaven as well, who was your relative, your coworker, your neighbor, and come to you and say, why didn't you tell me? I got saved at some other deal. You were my neighbor. You worked with me. Why didn't you tell me the truth? I do not want to ruffle your feathers. I didn't want to unnecessarily offend you. I didn't want you to think I was judgmental. Guys, the Bible teaches truths in tension, okay? There are seemingly opposing truths. Judge not lest you be judged. Well, I can't judge you. I can't judge you, you know? Same passage. You can identify a tree by its fruit. How's that? Because you know. You know the truth. You're not a dummy. And may the Lord give us temperance, wisdom, and grace. But I feel maybe it's just for me that this message, this portion, these verses in context are for Luke Frechette to let my light be brighter. Maybe it's just my heart. So I know when I go to the gym. So I know when I go to Fred Myers, when I go to Safeway. When I go to where I go, I'm sent. I'm a Christian. I believe differently. By the way, I already mentioned it's not your message. You know that, right? (laughs) These aren't your ideas. (laughs) There's such freedom in that. It's not your idea. You didn't make this up. Paul said in Acts chapter 20, I did not shun to declare to you the whole counsel of God, but I declared to you all those things which are helpful the good, the bad, and the ugly. It's God's story. It's God's deal. Chapter 5. Just kidding. <laughs> I wanted to get to chapter 5. Guys, would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you in Jesus' name that you are sovereign, that you are the judge, that you're the creator of all things. Lord, that you're the rule maker. You make the rules, you do. Mankind can make up whatever story they want. My heart can lead me astray and make up whatever story I want, and yet you are faithful. Even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. You are true. You are right. And we desire, Lord, to know you and know your word. Father, I pray in Jesus' name for a divine anointing that we would be the church, we would be different, Lord, we would be different. Jesus said in John 13 that we would be different by our love. He would know that we're real. We're disciples by our love for one another. So loving. But we also know that tension that we, we have a rule book. We have a standard. We have a truth. We have declarations of a creator God who spoke in all things were. Lord, I, I need to repent this morning for watering down my life and playing my cards carefully and not wanting to offend or upset or not wanting to wear my lifeguard jersey all the time. But I just apologize in Jesus' name. And maybe you're here this morning or you're at home watching and you say, you know what, I just need to, need to not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If that's you, would you just nod and say, I don't want to be ashamed. Lord, I don't want to be ashamed. My neighbors, my friends, my coworkers, they need to see the gospel in me. They need to hear the gospel from me. Would you anoint us and bless us, Lord? Give us temperance and patience. Peter was killed, Paul was killed, Jesus was killed. Help us not to be afraid of rejection and death. We love you so much, Lord. We do need you to guide us and lead us. We pray mercy on our country. Mercy, Lord. We pray for the church. We pray for a revival. I pray that revival would start right now in this church, Lord, right here with the Christians, that we would be made, Lord, new again. We'd have a greater hunger for your word, a greater desire to live godly, a greater desire to serve, a greater desire to let our lives, Lord, be your lives. Forgive us for being so worldly. And I pray, Lord, that you would open up blind eyes, that there would be revival in Lincoln County. Lord, would you save many people alive. Do a work, we pray. Again, give us love and truth, that balance. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen, amen and amen. God bless you guys.